So there are two loose heads just floating around in here somewhere? You can hear them at night. They whisper to each other and then cry. <laughs> Since our host isn't here, would anyone care to mix me a drink? Horror films ask us many questions. Who will survive and what will be left of them? Who's going to believe a talking head? What's blood for if not for shedding? Do you like scary movies? Have you checked the children? Maybe we'll find the answers together. Thank you for joining us on PhotoFlow, Terror in the Smiles. Here are your hosts, Eric Jones and Jake Almond. Good evening. I'm your host. Uh, the uh, crazy father figures. Uh, oh, yeah. The stepfather yeah. and uh, Shadow. Yes. I kept wanting to say Saboteur, and I was like, that's the wrong Hitchcock movie. <laughs> uh, which I haven't watched yet. That came in that box set that I recently got the 4K set. Oh, I don't, yeah, I just have the, uh, like the, the Blu-ray set, but I did, I did have to pick up Psycho on, on 4K. Yeah, I had that, I had that 4K set and then that I mainly bought for Psycho, but it did have some other classics like Root Windows, another, you know, another favorite of mine. And then I saw this second volume that just came out recently from Universal and it had, you know, none, none of which I had seen before, like Trouble with Harry and Saboteur and um, the one we're watching to, to talk about today. And every, I mean, like it had like Marnie, like none of these I've seen. So I'm like, okay, well, here's some Hitchcock stuff I've never seen. I definitely have to check this out. And I think like I wasn't aware of the, the lost Hitchcocks. I think you know more about that than I do. Like I think Verdict wasn't Vertigo one of the, Legendary lost Hitchcock for a while. Uh, I'm when, when like when you say I'm just thinking of like some of the, I guess some of the silent stuff. That's the only thing I think of. Well, there supposedly there was like a a, t- a period of time where there were certain Hitchcock movies that were really hard to find, and then they mm-hmm. you know got re released or finally started getting distribution again or whatever. But um, I don't know. I have to look that up. But I was actually surprised because a couple of the titles in there were like really well known. Like Vertigo is like super well known. I thought, but yeah, that's interesting. I, yeah, I I do. I looked that up because yeah, the only thing I would have thought of was just like you know some of the silent um, stuff. You know, may have been you know obviously lost time and all that. Um, yeah, unless unless it was a case like a you know like Psycho, how they restored like the the few seconds. I love I love how they uh, describe that. They'd be like the never before the never before seen uh, unrated version that Hitchcock originally presented, and it's really just like a few seconds. I, I, it is a it is an interesting few seconds, but it is ultimately just. I yeah, I mean, I kind of like it though. I kind of like that we got like a slightly more visceral cut yeah. of, of psycho which is already more visceral than his other movies in some ways um or more taboo like i liked that extra stab and i mean yeah. that's the horror that's the horror fan i mean i like that the scene of him washing the blood off his hands um i think it's really interesting that they chose those two moments to you know need to cut but um just the, but it's so funny because that really didn't change. Like we, you know, talk about like Wes Craven's scream in '96. 
they he they forced him to to do similar things to try to prevent it from being NC-17. Uh, just to cut a few frames out here or a few frames out there or to speed up this shot, like the shot of the camera zooming in on Drew Barrymore in the tree, like hanging from the tree with the guts hanging out. Like they had, he had to speed that up. So instead of just speeding it up, he like cut frames out of it and it made this really eerie shot. And the original shot was a slower push in or whatever. And I actually prefer the jerky, herky, jerky, you know, quick, quick push in now that he removed those frames because it just makes it creepier for some reason but i don't know that i would like it if it were restored back to what it was originally but that's crazy i've never actually seen well the blood going back to the blood like when when billy and Stu are stabbing each other in the kitchen there's a scene where blood's dripping on the floor and it just kind of lets you know that they're losing a lot of blood well they made them he made they made him cut that out too so they're they were still doing this kind of stuff you know, in 1996, you know, forcing these type of cuts. It's crazy because I always have to, it's one of the things where it's like, I could have sworn that's what I had been seeing all these years, but it could just be just because, you know, you know, someone like Craven is, is that good that whatever he has to cut out, you know, and how he has to cover it, you're able to, you know, he still makes it uh, effective. So well, I, I think it's still a remarkably violent scene, so you don't really necessarily miss the, those things. Yeah. But and and I swear, I'm I'm sh- I know that the laser disc version of it was the uncut version, and I think that the very first VHS version was uncut. And I'm pretty sure the VHS I had back in the day was the uncut version, but that wasn't. And even though I probably watched it numerous times. When I got the DVD, I never watched that version again. So for years now, DVD and Blu-ray and now 4K, the only version I've seen was the... Um, it's hard for me to say what was there. In the like. Apparently, there was a longer, more graphic cut of, of, the, of Casey's boyfriend's gut spilling out. And I have memories of that scene being more graphic. So maybe that was on the VHS, or maybe there was a version that was like a mix between the two. I don't really know. It's one of those like Mandela effects at this point. Like I, yeah. I may have seen the other version, but I've seen this version, this one particular cut, more than all the others. So it's really hard for me to say. But I just looked it up just for anyone that's listening that's curious before we get into the main subject. There were the missing Hitchcocks or the lost Hitchcocks, where the five Hitchcockses was called had something to do with Hitchcock actually owning the distribution rights. So they weren't played in theaters uh, in revival screenings as often as some of the other studio owned versions. He owned that. He actually owned distribution rights for Rope, Rear Window, Trouble with Harry, Man Who Knew Too Much, and Vertigo. So those were, for a while anyway, were considered the five uh, lost Hitchcocks. Oh. I guess he had pulled them from distribution altogether. Which is interesting because we did cover Rope, and that and that that is now one of my favorites, and I, and I had never seen it before, until not long before we covered it, and uh, and Rear Window is one of my favorites too. Vertigo is one of those movies I have to watch again, like it's very beautiful, it's very well shot, but it can't. It's one of those like real film film goer yeah. type movies, you know. It's it's hard for me to like that one's a little more inaccessible for me and I'm I'm a, I love film but that one's like one of the more artsy things he's ever done. Yeah, it's uh same. It was always one that um yeah, it's always one that I kind of had to 
put a little effort into not that I usually don't when I watch something, but like, you know, watching Vertigo is far different from watching Psycho or Rope or Rear or even something a little more uh, silly like The Trouble with Harry. Um, yeah. So yeah, and see, I've never seen that one at all, so that one's definitely a lost one to me anyway. Yeah. But... It's fun. A little black comedy. So apparently the these five movies, they went they went unseen between night. I'm sorry, did I cut you off? Because I can't hear you. Oh, no. Hold on. oh no. Okay. I was just going to say, these five movies were pulled from circulation between 1968 and 1983. So when he died in 1980, his daughter Patricia got the rights and renegotiated a contract with Universal to distribute them to like TV and home video. So you and I never grew up in a time when these movies weren't available. That's yeah. why they probably don't seem you know unavailable but i just remember people talking about vertigo a lot growing up like that was one of the ones everybody talked about that and rear window i feel like those got referenced on the simpsons a lot and yep. people talked about them a lot yeah we got we, we need to do a uh, we need to do a simpsons uh episode where we talk about all the all the horror references that uh the simpsons brings up yeah that would yeah that would be fun that would be fun. And like oh, a top no, 10. Oh, oh, no, That's what Treehouse of Horror is for. <laughs> we could do a whole episode on just uh, Hitchcock references on that yeah. show. Yeah. Episode titles or just little moments or entire episodes. Oh, man. Well, so I'm going to let you lead off. Do you want to do the Hitchcock one first? Yeah, since we've been, yeah, since we've been uh, shooting it on, on Hitchcock, we'll just uh jump into uh our first feature which is shadow of a doubt directed by alfred hitchcock um its release date was i didn't have my what you call it pulled up here uh it's in what it's in the 40s 1943 it was released in uh 1943 uh and it stars Teresa wright and uh joseph cotton um Funny thing, it was nominated for um, Academy Award for Best Story. I'm not sure what the equivalent of that, uh, if that's if that's a former award or if it's a, uh, you know, a predecessor to a current award, but it was an Oscar-nominated film. And it's also, um, it's, it's the film that Hitchcock has said was his favorite. Um, and it's crazy because, like, at 43, he had only been in America uh three years his first film in the united states filming in uh hollywood was uh rebecca in 1940 um which did win best picture that one's very well loved yeah yep um and so by this point he's only yeah he's only been here three years and you know he's got greatness still to come but this is one of his this is actually what he said was his favorite of all his films. So to think that, like, you know, he still has to do Vertigo and Rear Window and Psycho and The Birds and North by Northwest. He still has all these ones that everyone says are, are, are full on classics of his. And this one is his favorite. But it's not hard to see why. Like, you know, it's there's a reason why I can see why he would say this is his favorite. And it is certainly. Um, I think one of one of the upper tiers um, of his filmography. It's really good. Did he have like, in your opinion, 
did he have any masterpieces before this one? I would say I would say Rebecca, and um, if we if you go back to his uh, British period, I would say um, the Lady Vanishes and yeah. the man and the man who knew too the original uh, man who knew too much. Um, I think that one is actually that's better than his remake. Um, love Jimmy Stewart, but for some reason I just couldn't. I never got into the uh, the remake with uh, Stewart and uh, Doris Day. But um, I would definitely say Rebecca, yeah, Rebecca, the man who knew too much, and um, the lady vanishes. I think the lady vanishes would probably be the the masterpiece um, of his. I think I've I I think I've seen that one. That is that the one that a lot of it takes place on a train. Yep, yep, it's, uh, and it's like yeah, and that's like a really early one. Yep, I or one of the earliest ones early. that I've seen anyway. Think that was in uh 34 35 um, yeah but yeah it's that that is really entertaining um and like you said you said earlier you know rebecca is very popular and that was his first film uh in the united states when he came to okay. hollywood yeah and so this one was a first watch for me i had never really looked into it and when it was my turn to pick the the double feature i was like already kind of leaning toward wanting to watch the stepfather so I was like, you know what? Let me try to find something classic that sounds just by the synopsis kind of like a similar theme. And when I when I had just gotten that 4K set, uh, I'm reading through them. And when I read the synopsis for this movie, I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, because this is about a guy who uh, isn't who he says he is, and ha- or has a secret life or whatever. And He's going to gaslight these people essentially, and that's I thought, okay. Well, that that'll that's close enough, you know. So that should make for a cool double feature, and it is a very different experience, of course. But it's a it was kind of fun to watch those these two back to back. I thought that, you know, I don't. I feel like I've done it an injustice because we watched these with the intention of talking about them a few days later at most, and I have now gone two weeks since I've watched it or more and i really should have watched it again but just because it takes me sometimes a couple viewings for things to sink in uh, enough to really feel confident talking about it but i really did enjoy it quite a bit uh do you uh what was your first time watching it uh first time i watched it was um it was years ago um even long before i got married um turner classic movies tcm had a hitchcock marathon on and um that was kind of when i was i was just out of college and had a job and had my own money so i was like all right let me start building up my movie collection but uh at the time there wasn't really a the hitchcock dvd sets at that time were kind of out of print or like on their way out of print um and that they had this marathon on so they were showing you know everything that you know and and some stuff that I had never heard of, um, and I had never heard of Shadow of a Doubt. Um, so I had, at the time, I used to have a, um, a DVD burner, and so I recorded them, you know, just like how we used to record off the on the VCR. I recorded it, uh, put about two or three movies uh, on a DVD, and built my own little uh, Hitchcock bo- uh, box set. Um, and I, re- I remember specifically, I put that on a disc with uh, Marnie and Rebecca. 
Um, and that was just because they, no no particular reason. They were just the three that were back to back. I remember it was on a Saturday or so, or a Sunday, and I was pretty much in the entire day uh, watching. But um, that was my first time uh, seeing it, and I thought it took me a minute before um, because I think it is a a, a bit of a uh, I think it's a bit of a slow burn um, early on, um, but once it's, once you, well, it's, I won't say necessarily the reveal, but once uh, Charlie, uh, Charlotte, the um, the niece played by Teresa Wright, once it's revealed to her that her uncle Charlie, uh, played by uh, Joseph Cotton, um, maybe this man who's been, killing these uh these uh married women um that's when it sort of um you know when it sort of wraps up um yeah which is very interesting because i didn't actually realize that was what his whole deal was so that made it tie even more into stepfather than i expected it to i just thought because at the beginning correct me if i'm wrong but like the first 30 minutes or you know, twenty thirty minutes feels like it's kind of like a spy movie or something. Yeah, because there's um, he's like he's by himself, and there's these two uh, the two men looking for him, and you know you find out I forget if they were specifically cops or if they were detectives. I took it that, like they were FBI or something. But... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the FBI didn't even exist yet. I don't guess. Like I'm not sure when did they they started to, to fight the mob or whatever, right? Or maybe they did start in the prohibition era i guess to take down uh organized crime like i don't know shit but i just don't think the fbi was what we think of it as until the 50s like yeah but that's kind of who they were reminding me of they were detectives or something but. yeah and so yeah you're right in the beginning there like these two men are, are looking for me you know and he's hiding you know he's hiding out um and I'm trying to remember, I don't think there was anything, I don't think there was any shot that really indicated that he had done anything wrong. Um, like I said, it's been a couple of weeks since since I watched. Um, so I don't think there was anything that was indicating that he was wrong, that he did anything wrong. Um, and, you know, so... Well, he was just, he was acting shady. There was obviously oh, yeah. like... You know, but like we didn't know what was up with it. So when it actually was revealed that he was as bad as he is, I was like, okay, this actually works so damn well. It's just a different approach to the material. But yeah, I mean, I I really and I thought it was also interesting that it's a it's it's a family thing. It's it's an uncle and a niece in this situation versus a stepfather and a stepdaughter. But it's still uh like kind of like she's the the niece is really the only one who understands what the hell's going on just like at a certain point when we get into the stepfather the the daughter is the only one who really knows what's going on and um and i thought that was pretty cool uh it's a little creepy in some of the scene like it's very uncomfortable at times i thought it was very effective but it's also really funny like i didn't expect the movie like how i know it's a hitchcock movie even if i didn't know is the sense of humor even though it's a very kind of gallows humor that he's so good at it has a very interesting like uh you know the, the two the two characters that are constantly talking about 
the neighbor or whatever that keeps coming over and he's constantly getting into debates about the best way to kill somebody. <laughs> and uh, that guy is amazing. Like that, those characters were great to me. And, uh, and the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the little girl, like there's always great kid, like Hitchcock always has these great, he never treats children like nuisances in a movie. They're always like, they always have the best lines and the best little, you know, take away little best little comments and stuff. Yeah, and the uh, funny thing about that, you mentioned, um, yeah, uh, Charlie's father, um, uh, played by uh, Henry Travers, who actually is making a uh, return visit to uh, our show. We uh, discussed uh, the 1933 Invisible Man, where he played the um, the father of uh, the Invisible Man's fiance. So. Oh, okay. I, he seemed familiar. I know I've seen him in other movies besides these, besides those two. But yeah, he's definitely somebody that pops up a lot in in movies from this era. Um, I just, I, I was like, I really need to IMDb these people while I'm watching because um, I just, I'm always like, man, I know I've seen this guy in something else. But yeah, he's fantastic in the movie. He and the guy who plays the neighbor. Uh, probably my favorite two performances because every time they were having one of these arguments about how to kill each other, <laughs> it was just, it was like, my God, this is crazy for a movie from 1944 or three or whatever. The neighbor is played by uh, Hume Cronin, who um, he stars in another uh, Hitchcock film, uh, Lifeboat, which I believe came after, uh, after Shadow of the Doubt. Um, Sorry about that, man. I think it yeah, might have just, been my fault that was the problem there. Yeah, I, I, I was hearing you. I was hearing you just fine, and then it just out of nowhere it just dropped. Yeah. All right. No, I was just saying that I, I thought that overall, you know, I mean, to me, I, just just in terms of like, I'm trying to think of like out of the all, just judging it because I don't, I don't know. Hitchcock is one of those people that when you're watching a Hitchcock movie, at least this is how I am. You know, some movies are kind of just classics, and maybe that director never did anything else that great. Well, with Hitchcock, it's like there's such a personality to his films that it's like I'm going to a Hitchcock movie to see a Hitchcock movie. And that's not to say that you can't separate it and judge each movie on its own, because you can. But one of the things that's exciting is I can put Hitchcock's movies together on the shelf, and I know I'm going for a certain type of experience. And... I'm sure he has some movies that are a little harder to see the uh, as we've gotten to know him in especially it seems like his later films when he had more creative control he really developed his own style and his own personality that came through in the films so if you're looking at it like that uh, this this is one of the first times we're one of the earliest films of his that I've seen on, if I was going to look at them chronologically when they came out that I could really tell I was watching Hitchcock do his thing, you know, and it kind of like watching the, and I know he didn't write all of them, but, or I don't know if he wrote any of them, but the Hitchcock presents like he was the host and the, and kind of doing all the wraparounds and there's so much of his personality on, or at least his persona on that show and and sometimes you could feel that coming through on some of his some of my favorite movies of his, like Rear Window is him. Like that movie, I can just his personality and his sense of humor and his, I mean his his uh, hangups and and what he thinks is you know 
dangerous to put on screen. He's playing with a lot of different things there. And when he does that, I think that's when he's at his best. And I can kind of see a little bit of that peeking through here. And without going through his filmography from the first, the earliest movie I can get my hands on to the, to the last, I can't really say, ex like, chart that journey. But I can at least feel a lot of his humor coming through here. And I've really enjoyed it for that reason alone. Um, that, I mean, I think it's a well, well constructed film. Um, and it has like, it gets like, as the stakes get higher and higher, like the scene where he traps her in the garage with the car running and everything. Um, you know, that's just classic scary movie stuff, you know? And I thought they, that whole scene played out really, uh, well, uh, you know, all the way up, like I was talking about the ending right before the phone cut off. I really liked the the ending because i didn't expect it to be that intense and almost like an action movie climax versus you know what i would expect from a movie from 1943 and uh so yeah i mean i this was a fun watch for me so it was like this one to me was worth the price of admission alone for the box set that i got because i mean it was a i got it for a good deal and i'm like you know this was a cool movie i might not have ever chose to watch i mean other than that the box set so i'm going to watch them i mean i, I do eventually want to see all the hitchcocks i can but I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't have necessarily picked this movie out that week if not for this show. And so this was a surprise to me, like how much I really did enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's certainly, um, like I said, it's certainly uh, worthy of of a, of a Hitchcock canon. And um, you were talking about like with the finale, um, just and, and like you said, it's, it's kind of, it's amazing how sort of... Uh, like visceral Hitchcock could make something even in an era where you couldn't show um things like that. You know, like for example, you know, at the in the at the end, uh Charlie and Uncle Charlie are, you know, they're fighting on a train, um, you know, and Hitchcock will go, you know, hit trains, he, he loves trains and you'll see uh, a lot of stuff happen in trains in, the, um, in a few of his films. Um, but, you know, Uncle Charlie falls, he falls off the train into the path of another train. And, you know, you just kind of like, you don't see anything, but, you know, Hitchcock's so good at, 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 um, at conveying something that you kind of just be like, oh, then you're like, oh, that's, that's a, that's a pretty graphic ending uh for someone or even um mm -hmm. earlier when they mentioned um um how they think there was another suspect and they chased him but they this suspect got killed uh by a uh, airplane propeller that's a that's a pretty brutal way to go um you don't see it <laughs> but just the fact that you know that's something that hitchcock would um you know would would put in there um well, he definitely had a had a um, interest in weird deaths, <laughs> like yeah. how how to kill someone in a way that we've never seen on film before, even if it's off screen. And the you know, and the the crazy thing is, uh, like, there's not even really too many scenes of like the cat and mouse between Charlie and Uncle Charlie. But what there is there, you know, Hitchcock tightens the uh, tightens the suspense you know he sets her up to fall down some stairs and oh yeah, uh, yeah. and then you you know you mentioned the uh 
locking her in the garage with the with the car running so that the uh, the exhaust fumes. Uh, well, yeah. Well, it gets much more sinister as as it goes. Like he, he, I think that some of the well, the my favorite scene in the movie that's not you know the ones mentioned was the uh, newspaper scene. Oh yeah, with, when, when he's like, library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that to me was like really good suspense movie stuff uh, that he's trying his best to keep uh, the the kids from uh, knowing his secret or whatever. So, and when Charlie walks in the room, it's you know I don't know that isn't that the moment where he kind of realizes like he's gonna have to get rid of her at some point. I can't remember. I might be. Yeah, inflated. because because when he when he arrived, he was giving gifts, and he gave Charlie, um, I forgot if it was, it was it was a bracelet or a ring or something, but the ring or the the, the piece of jewelry, whatever it was, had a um, had the initials of someone who was reported missing or dead or whatever uh, in the newspapers. Yeah, which is a. Uh... Playing around with stuff that that uh, wasn't even taught to, you know, like the the way he, I mean, and I guess Charlie is a serial killer, and that wasn't even a term that was around in 1943. So it's and and the fact that he took mementos from his victims, and the fact that he, um, you know, it's just it's interesting because that wasn't even something that law enforcement even studied or even talked about they didn't they typically like somebody like this could have totally got away with crimes like these back then a lot easier because communication between police departments there was really even federal police didn't really investigate things like this um so this this sort of thing actually is plausible and and did happen i'm sure there were people that totally got away with doing things like this so it's um I mean, it's interesting. It's funny how much awareness whoever comes... I mean, you know, like, when you see something like this in a movie from 1943, and you're like, the cops weren't even looking for stuff like this. So did people that were watching this at the time even... Were they aware of how plausible this was, or was this just pure movie fantasy at the time? Because it's just... It kind of blew my mind. Like, his M.O. and his motivations were more realistic than what I, I was expecting for a movie from the time that it came out. And I could see, you know, I could almost see that because, you know, at the end, after um, he's killed, run over by the train, you know, we cut to his funeral and the town is celebrating him. But Charlie, uh, Charlie chooses to uh, keep his uh, keep his crime secret, you know, I'm guessing so that, you know, his his memory isn't tarnished or whatever. you know, interesting, you know, interesting choice. But I mean, you can see that by the time, you know, we get to like, you know, Psycho that the, uh, um, the you know, you know, that's actually kind of interesting because, you know, you know, in that time, there was always the thing of, you know, the criminal must get what they deserve. And I guess they say that he got what he deserved by his death. But interesting, you know, the story then goes to cover up uh, cover up his crime essentially. It's like, yeah. that's interesting. So no, I, I feel like I feel like that was more, especially so with like gangsters and stuff. Like if you yeah. were a gangster, we had to make sure that that got punished on screen. But I don't know, you know, I, I would have to like 
really take a deep dive into that period and, and when it comes to this type of subject matter. Um, but I could see that uh, a case where maybe uh, at this time in 1943, maybe they didn't know uh, what this could mean, um, you know, that this sort of thing, like you said, is plausible. Maybe they yeah, didn't. I mean, I, mean I would almost feel like they probably pulled some things from actual headlines, but, um, you know, they just didn't think of, I don't know if they didn't, I don't know what did they, what did they call us? I mean, a serial killer back then. I mean, obviously there was Jack the Ripper that wasn't like that kind of crime had never existed before, but I mean, like, it seems, it seems like they weren't really categorizing it it with any not with any like real shared knowledge until the 60s like the late 60s when they when they finally started you know teaching uh you know um you know profiling and that type of profiling like actual the good kind of profiling (laughs) (laughs) like the actual like uh like serial killer investigation stuff like that like as we know it today didn't exist until well, I mean, a good fictional version. Or, well, it's a semi-fictional show about it. Is that is Mindhunter on Netflix? Like that's that really is how. If you ever watched that show, when they were going around to like all the little podunk police departments in that show, trying to teach them the stuff, they all the cops were like super. Um, they were super resistant toward learning about it because they just thought it was all a bunch of bullshit and. uh and it probably prevented a lot of crimes from getting solved uh, because of that, because they just wanted to look at each crime as an individual thing and not connect it in any type of way or think that it's possible that somebody could be going from town to town to town. I mean, you know, you had other cases, of course, famous cases, but I just don't think that the uh, police department had the interest or wherewithal to solve those type of crimes so you know this kind of thing is is just not it's not the movie that i expected because i really did think i was watching a spy movie and then it turned into you know something more sinister even but uh so it definitely took me by surprise but in a good way like i liked it a lot i mean i do think that he borrows from certain spy movie tropes in the film but i think that he does something kind of you know different here and and so I appreciated that watching it. So there here is something that I did just look up. So the project began when the head of David Selznick's story department, Margaret McDonald, told Hitchcock that her husband had an interesting idea uh, for a novel, and she thought that his idea for a novel would make a good movie. So the idea was called Uncle Charlie. And it was based on the true story of Earl Nelson, a serial killer of the late 1920s known as the Gorilla Man. And wow. Says, says he is, he was the first, or he's considered to be the first known serial sex murderer of the 20th century. And his, um, see, his kid, you can do was, anything you want if you put your mind to it. <laughs> his victims were mostly uh, landladies. Uh, and he would approach them on, you know, on the pretext of uh, renting a room. Ah, um, oh, and that's interesting because the movie starts out with a lot of banter between him and his landlady. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and you know what? And it does do good because she's so nice to him. And, you know, you kind of get the, and like you said, he's acting so shady um, already um, because who, go, who takes a nap 
in a full suit. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought men, I just thought men dressed better back then. I didn't even question it. Yeah. I I was just like, he's, he's, he's got the shades open in a full (laughs) suit laying on the bed. I think he had his shoes on too. Yeah, he was ready to get out of there with his with his go bag if he needed to. If the if the, if the cops came in, yeah. So that's okay. So there there is a true. I mean, we all we all know the you know the the sort of the the basis for uh, Psycho with uh, Ed Gein, and we know you know that it, that story plays into a, a lot of movies, not just yeah. Like, and that and that um you know that was a little more recent. Yeah. I think it's really fascinating when you go back and realize, okay, we only know about a few notorious serial killers, but when you actually like start looking into it, there's like a ton of unsolved. It is, yeah. it is unsettling when you realize what some people have gotten away with. And uh, I think it is not that people don't still get away with stuff, but I think it is, um, I think that they were just able to get away with it back back in the twenties and back in the eighteen hundreds and whenever because there was just nobody that was even considering that type of crime, you know, like it was beyond the ability for most people to even want to think about it. So, and the cops certainly didn't know how to solve it, and uh, it's crazy to me that it took them that long. But yeah, that's that's interesting that it was based on a true story. I mean, I just thought you know every time every time there's a new century or a new decade. Somebody could be the first to do something. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So, hopefully, it's something good, not not horrible. So, <laughs> but yeah, I good movie, man. Like I really enjoyed it, and we're gonna have to keep bringing in like these these because uh, Rope was kind of a new and now a super favorite for me. Like one I'll revisit many times. Um, so I'm gonna have to keep peppering in these like Hitchcock movies that I've never seen. <laughs> Anytime that they're relevant to the show, so we definitely got to do more. Um, we'll just jump into the stepfather, man. I want to know, like, I had seen this movie. I remember people talking about the stepfather growing up, and I remember seeing the the three. There were three of them when I was a kid that at the video store, and I remember seeing the the covers. And I think I saw parts of this movie on television when I was a kid. But I really was kind of surprised. Like, I thought I had seen more of it, or at least remembered more of it. But watching it again for the show, I was actually kind of surprised by how much I had forgotten about it. Which was nice, because I got to really enjoy it. Uh, but what was your first... What was your uh, preconception of this movie before you saw it? Like, what kind of movie were you thinking you were getting into? So, I'd never... I had never seen it. This was my first watch of it. And the first time I heard the uh, the name, The Stepfather, was when they did the remake. But at the time, I didn't know it was a remake. I just thought it was a, um, you know, it was this thriller movie called The Stepfather. Um, and then I found out it was a, you know, I found out it was a remake. I didn't, I didn't see the remake when it came out. I actually watched it uh, relatively recently after watching all three uh films here um and so this was my first uh watch of it and i honestly didn't know expect um but what i i was really surprised how uh 
how it how right off the bat uh it gets things going you know whereas shadow of a doubt kind of builds up uh to the moments where charlie and uncle charlie have to go head to head um the stepfather just starts right off uh it there's no suspense in the beginning you just see this man just killed all these uh, this whole family while he's uh shaving and taking a shower and uh uh his his new identity so it's really unsettling um right off the bat and it, i was also really surprised to see terry o'quinn uh the only thing i ever watched terry o'quinn in was uh was lost um so to see him a younger him uh playing and he i mean he plays the he plays the hell out of the role um um but yeah it's it i was surprised at how it doesn't waste time going and i was also surprised that usually you would think in a movie like this um or like shadow of a doubt you know uncle charlie kind of has his act together pretty much throughout the film every you know and then everyone throughout the film you kind of see where he uh kind of can't control himself or like when he's at dinner and he has to talk about how he hates old married women or something like that and <laughs> stuff you know it starts raising the red flags uh in charlie whereas in the stepfather you know he doesn't have a handle he doesn't have a handle on anything um, right it, it, he, you know he's he's pretty much losing it from the beginning he does he's done this so many times that he lose that he has no idea he can't keep track of uh of uh what he's done and you know it builds up to like that you know for you for, you see that i think there's like one early moment where he says like um, his daughter's name and I think the um, the stepdaughter she's like I you didn't say that or something um, but you know that that there's that that great moment where he's in the kitchen uh, with his wife and he you know he's like he's breaking down and then he just goes who am I again oh my god I love that scene so much that's a great that's a great moment and like I said I'm, I'm not I'm used to seeing these types of characters have it together while people piece it to get piece out who they are around it and he's breaking down from the beginning um and it's a i, I think it's good and, and it's not the movie itself is like 90 minutes and it really doesn't waste um any of it yeah. well one of, one of the things that i thought was interesting about it too was that it is it is all especially after you told me that shadow of a doubt was based on a true story but apparently stepfather is also based on a true story and uh like with most uh movies that with this subject matter that are based on true stories sometimes the true story is actually more disturbing than the uh than the movie version but there is a true story but i also thought what made it so interesting about uh about the stepfather specifically was that it captured like you said almost the down like the 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 final like right before a serial killer typically gets caught is is not unusual especially in some of the more famous cases for them to get really sloppy and to get really careless or to 
if they had a, some type of like secret life like uh like some of them did like the few of them that had actually had a family and stuff and had their family and friends fooled or live or lived in a neighborhood and were well, well respected like like uh you know what's the guy the the guy who dressed like a clown sometimes that dude in chicago yeah you know he was well respected in the neighborhood and and had a and a lot of his victims were kids that he hired at, through his construction company and stuff like that and and he had people fooled you know and it wasn't until the cops started i mean he even had people in power fooled you know uh some powerful people in chicago like uh, that had political connections and stuff and and um i mean there's a picture of him with nancy reagan <laughs> not nancy reagan uh carter um the jimmy carter's wife there's a picture of him with her like that's how that's how much he had people fooled that he could even get to the president's like take a photo op with the president's wife and stuff and um and he very big difference by the way between <laughs> jimmy carter and reagan <laughs> anyway, yeah. um when when he uh got caught it was because he got he 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 just started falling apart at the seams and and when the cops started actually looking into him and taking, you know, not just taking him at face value, he couldn't handle that anymore. And, and, and ultimately, I mean, that's not what his, his demeanor is not necessarily what got him caught, but it definitely, he did start kind of falling apart and got much more reckless and careless. And, and a lot of them do. And I, so I thought watching stepfather, it was very interesting that when they, whoever without, and I'm sorry for not being more like on it with who wrote the screenplay and whatnot, but it was obvious that they, that they, you know, based it in reality enough that it made it really interesting. But unlike Shadow of a Doubt, which I feel like was pretty well grounded film, there there is just a shade of of uh, campiness to the stepfather, which makes it kind of fun because that opening scene, I really wasn't sure whether it was going to be very campy or whether it was going to be really brutal like because that opening scene was reminding me a lot of another serial killer film which is the complete opposite uh called P henry portrait of a serial killer which opens like you are entering the pits of hell and you never get out of it that whole movie like that movie feels as close to real as anything i've it's it's got that same quality that the texas chainsaw massacre has in the way that it almost feels more real than what you'd normally get in a film with that subject matter. And it, it, it kind of sort of, in a way, is almost when you're watching it, Texas Chainsaw or Last House on the Left. And I thought that that's kind of how The Stepfather was going to be, which is not how I remembered it. Uh, but then as it goes on, it's not like that at all. It really is the prototype for like a lifetime thriller. And I don't mean that to be mean or, or, or disparage it in any way, because some of those are pretty good at but like uh i watched it with uh on the last drive-in on shutter and joe bob was talking about that as well so i'm not definitely not the first person to ever make that observation but these this is the type of thriller that most people when they think of thrillers they think of a movie like the stepfather like that's but to me this is still horror like it's this is still a horror film but um it's it's obviously a little more graphic than what well, you, you might get on a television thriller but um but that opening scene is so shocking that I wasn't sure what we were getting. <laughs> the uh, 
the only negative, and like you can give me your opinion, but the only negative that I personally had with it was the boyfriend, not the boyfriend, but the the character who's like trying to track him down the whole time. That guy, because he is in a than everybody else. He's like he's way too over over dramatic and just he's like. He is acting for television. Like, I don't know what's going on with that guy. But there's like a scene where he runs into a store and he just starts like throwing stuff everywhere for no reason. And he's just like, he just smoked like a bunch of meth or something before every scene. Even more because I I, I hated how, you know, he, he was so, he was so extra with everything. And then, uh, wasn't even quick. wasn't even quick enough to shoot him. And, and oh my it, god, it, it gets killed. I was so mad at him. Now this movie had me talking to the screen, man. Like it was one of those movies that makes you that well, you'll be talking to the screen. <laughs> I was so mad at this dude because he's like freaking. He knows exactly who this man is and what this man is capable of, and he's gonna walk into this house without the gun drawn already. Like yeah. what? As I'm saying, I was like, dude, you've been over the top with everything else throughout this whole movie. And then you, like you said, you tracked him here. You know, it, it's not, you're not wondering. Is He's this... been going house to house for this guy. Yeah. you. He's been sleeping him. in his car for this guy. <laughs> like, you, like you found him and then you, and, but you didn't have the gun drawn. And, and so I was like, all right, there, there goes a, per- that was a perfect case of uh, a plot armor for. That, yeah, that was, that was bullshit like i actually like i'm glad that the mom saved the day in the end spoiler alert you guys i'm sorry but i'm assuming you've watched these movies before you get on here and listen to us but like i really thought he was still gonna be alive and maybe put up like at least one more fight before he got killed yeah. So, man, this dude was so at the top the whole time. I really thought like the short of him just driving the cars or the front of the house like lethal weapon <laughs> like, like anything else, any of his other responses were gonna come across as too soft. Like this guy should have been there with a freaking sh- with like a handgun and a shotgun drawn. <laughs> he should have been going. He should have been going in that thing like the Terminator or something. Like the way he was acting the whole movie. And I was shocked. At, I was so shocked because as soon as he walked in the house, I'm like, "Pull out your gun! Pull out your gun! Why don't you have your gun out? What's going on? Like, who would just blindly go into the house knowing that the killer is there?" <laughs> I mean, he got a, you know, he he got a he he got the he got the Dick Howler in treatment. <laughs> but Dick really didn't know what was going on. Really. Well, exactly. Yeah, as I was saying, yeah, at least like at least Dick, Dick really did not know what was happening. He was just going to check on Danny. <laughs> but like this guy, he said this like he's been over the top the whole movie, but he's been prepared the whole movie, and he knew it. Like he tracked them there. It's like this is where he is. I Man, and Dick, and, and to Dick's credit, to Dick's credit, Jax totally like jumped out and surprised him with that. Oh, yeah. Whereas yeah. this dude is right there. I'm like, I'm yelling. I was mad. I was like, I can't believe it. And then I was like, I really didn't even feel sorry for him when he got killed. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that was just one of those. I, I had a, I had a look of disgust on my face at that moment because like, I was just like, like really. I was like, really? It's like, like, it's almost like in the script they were they realized uh, in filming they're like, oh darn, we we want the mom to save the day, but we ain't really got 
Uh, I mean, goodness, at least at least Patrick Dempsey, Patrick Dempsey did he did live right at the end of uh, Scream Three. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. so he, he did survive at least. I mean, and he, he I'm pretty sure he he I'm pretty sure he entered the house with the gun drawn. I, I, I'd have to go back and look at it again. But yeah. That, because that, that that was about the, the most that's the, the closest reference I could think of. But I was like, he survived, but he was prepared. I just don't know how this how this, how this they had this man walk in there. Well, Dempsey, to his credit, was like not, you know, which I know that the idea was that he was frantic and that he hadn't been sleeping and he had been, you know, or sleeping very little and he had been tracking. You know, like I get that, but his performance was like kind of silly and. I could have done without that character, but everything else was really good. Like I really yeah. enjoyed it. Heather, Heather's personal view on it. Well, she was originally wanting to do this episode with us, but it just didn't work out. But her personal view on it was the um, the mom seemed like she should have been a little more clued in, and uh, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. But I think it was just the the way that the actress herself. Uh, she felt like that that actress that portrayed the mom didn't portray her as naive uh, enough. But and some of the things were like a a bit of a leap to logic. Like, why in the hell would she marry this man without knowing anything about his past? Because there's a conversation where he's like, uh, where she where he's like, I don't like to talk about my past, and it's like, okay, so she just accepted that and married him without knowing anything about where he came from or anything. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe at that point in their lives, you know, they just wanted a fresh start or whatever. But that did seem kind of like, why in the hell would you ever put yourself in that situation? Yeah. See, my my thing was just, um, I didn't think of that specifically. Even though he did say that, but I didn't think of that specifically. I was up there. My thing was just kind of, it was it was a red flag to me at how he keeps pushing this uh traditional family thing you know and he just keeps saying you know he keeps saying it's like we we, 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 well, we you know we got to be a family and we got to be we got to be we have to be the family and there's yes. nothing wrong with the traditional family and i'm just like you know that you know that would be a, a, a red flag now what what kept getting to me was and and not just in in this film but in the um in the sequels as well this character, I, I don't know how this man <laughs> scores with women so easily. The man has no sort of charisma whatsoever. I saw so like I don't I was, like how on earth is this man scoring so easily? Easy. <laughs> and that that's what was killing me the whole time. <laughs> I haven't seen the sequels yet. I'm gonna have to watch them. Um, okay, I've heard the second one. Yeah, it's it's good. It, it's a I think it's a little campier the third one being it was it was a made for tv movie and o'quinn isn't uh in it but it was actually pretty surprising because um the actor who replaces him does a really good job at take capture it's supposed to be that he's uh he's got um plastic surgery now oh, okay. um you know but the guy that plays him does a very good job at uh, especially with his vocal inflections of uh, portraying that he's the same character that O'Quinn was playing in the first two. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's kind of a neat. And I like I like that because it's like, hey, if you're going to go camp, go camp. And that sounds like a really fun movie. 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to check those out. I mean, it was good. Like, there were so many other things that were great. Like, the daughter was good. The Tara Quinn was the reason to watch the movie, though, because him going between... I guess you could never really say we're always kind of in on it. We, I mean, from because of the beginning, we always know he's crazy. So it's can't really say that he like surprises us. But there is some moments where when he really snaps, snaps that it kind of takes you back. Like when he kills the guy, the psychiatrist, and and uh, when he when he kill, of course, when he snaps and and that scene where he's like, "Who am I here?" and he hits the wife with the phone and everything like that. That whole climax like the whole chase up the stairs and all that stuff was uh was really well staged like i was on the edge of my seat so even though i'm yelling at idiot who gets himself killed like everything after that was like one of the coolest like that's the i love that kind of stuff like that that type of like climactic it was kind of like a scream movie or something the way it all just went crazy at the end and and i love that kind of stuff but uh, so it was right up my alley. Like I enjoyed it quite a bit. I had just forgotten so many things, so many great things. But there are some really wonderful moments with Terry O'Quinn when he's by himself in the movie and he's kind of ranting and raving or talking to himself. And that stuff just that was creepy and cool. Like I liked how upsetting that some of that stuff felt, and I thought they captured that really well. So you know the scene where she where they're at the barbecue and he's in the basement and he's just ranting and she walks in on it and then he realizes she's standing there like i was another moment where i was talking to my tv because i was like get out of there before he sees you get out of there before he sees you <laughs> but yeah good stuff man i liked it a lot yeah i i would i definitely would um i, I would definitely recommend it um for our listeners if you want to check it out at least at at the time when i watched it a couple weeks ago uh the first two movies were on peacock and the third is on uh tubi so if you um, want to check them out i believe they're supposed they're all still um on those respective uh services that's cool yeah Uh, okay that's good no i didn't know that about the second third one so i shall check those out myself you know, the funny thing about the uh, about our, our our least favorite character, it, it's he's almost like if if uh, if Doctor Loomis uh, let Michael get the jump on him. <laughs> yeah, right. That's it. He is kind of the Loomis character. You're right, except for like you say, Loomis went in there with gun drawn, ready to shoot the mother effer because he knew he was in there. You know, oh, yeah, like the it, second. The second those kids come running out of the house, Loomis knows, okay, Michael's in there, and he pulls his gun. <laughs> yeah, Loomis doesn't get because Loomis went in there and, and just, you know, Loomis wanted to blow him blow him away and make sure that was the end of that. You know, Loomis Which like, was one of my favorite aspects of the uh, of the Halloween Kills was the, the back, the little bit of backstory they gave to that, was which was why Loomis was, you know, because he had initially wanted to not you know not kill michael you know and um no no no. he wanted to shoot michael i'm sorry he wanted to kill michael when they supposedly arrested him at the end of the movie uh and that was like the the, the thing about um what's his name's character in the new halloween movies uh i'm sorry loomis did absolutely want to kill michael yeah but loomis is kind of like the van helsing he knows what's going on and he knows how to defeat him but nobody will listen to him or or maybe people just don't act quick enough or or don't believe the same way he does whereas uh and then the, and in a way this this idiot and, and the stepfather is like that too but he's just like much more inept 
Or maybe he just didn't get enough sleep in that car. I don't really know. But yeah. Yeah, it was just a hell of a it, it, it was just a hell of a way to go. I don't like I mean, and I'm not one that gets on about uh like character decisions, but like the minute what I was just like you walked in there and you didn't have the gun already drawn. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's some typical horror movie stuff, but like not not like if that. not not if you were the character and or if you were the Van Helsing, you don't that's not that should happen if you were the naive character who doesn't really know what's yeah. going on. That's fine. But if you're the Van Helsing man, you gotta go in there ready to stake the motherfucker in the heart. Like there's none of this uh like I mean, I don't know about you, man, but I'm not running into a house with, with a killer not prepared. I'm not running in there just like you know. <laughs> barehanded <laughs> well, like I said I would drive the car through the front of the house before I do that I'll, just, or I'll, I'll walk up in there like uh, like Arnold in uh, Commando <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm just like yeah uh, I love you know going back to Scream 3 Sydney goes in there and she's not only prepared but she's even prepared for you know like one of my favorite moments in scream they're probably the best moment in the movie is when um he shoots her and she's got her vest on or whatever and she gets up with the with the because he's made her throw the gun away you know uh and then but she's got us she's got another uh gun on her on her ankle in her ankle holster and she stands up and is like it's your turn to scream asshole you know like that's one of my favorite you know it's an action movie moment for sure but we've already established it by that point that she's you know linda hamilton it's her linda hamilton moment or whatever but um yeah i mean i love that i mean they they do it even better in the fifth one when when her and gail are walking up to the house but but yeah it's great um but yeah i mean this guy this guy was a joke man uh <laughs> Uh, he just if we're ranking uh characters like that he's definitely going to be not on the top 10 so but yeah i enjoyed it man it was a fun movie i love this double feature like it was funny because i was basing it off just a brief synopsis and it it's crazy to me how well it lined up so that was uh, yeah i did i did never i had never thought of these two specific like but you know if you, I could have suggested Shadow of a Doubt, but I never would have thought of the theme. I would just admit it just because of how it is as a thriller, but I'd have never thought of it on the theme of the, uh, the you know, the terrible father figure. Yeah, um, it's kind of fun. Uh, I like it when it works out that way, and it was just a total fluke that it worked out that well. But it's it's still wildly different movies in wildly different experiences depending on what you're going for but uh definitely would recommend either one of them or both uh it may it would make for a fun movie night if anybody wants to try it but it would it, i you know how likely are you to revisit um either of these or both uh shadow that was one i i you know because you know I'm, I'm a hitchcock uh um it's it's one that I kind of have to get into on a when I'm on a Hitchcock roll. Um, I don't watch it as often. You, you know, Psycho, Rope, uh, Dialing for Murder. These are ones I'll watch uh, multiple times during the year. Um, Shadow of a Doubt, as good as it is, is one that I don't watch as often. Um, you know, I'll watch it when I tend to get on a. Um, 
a role. Um, if I'd be like, oh, you know, what? I'm gonna watch a few movies on the box set. Um, and usually when I do that, I'll try to pick the ones I don't watch as often, um, which I do need to watch a couple of them more, a couple of them again, just so I can um, have a better, you know, better understanding. You know how there's sometimes it's like you, you when you watch something, even though you've seen it, but it'll always feel like the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, especially if, like, it's sort of like when I was really getting into Scorsese or, 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 or Kubrick or any of them. Some of the earlier ones, before they really, the directors that we came to know, I probably only watched those once, 10, 15, 20 years ago in some cases. So going back and watching them now would be like watching them for the first time. And, and sometimes it's worth it because you will appreciate certain things about it that you might not have back then. But, uh, but if you've only seen a movie once and it's been 10 or 20 years later, I mean, yeah, you're definitely, there's no way you're going to remember everything about it. You might just remember how it made you feel and, and certain like, you know, important, like, I mean, I can watch movies multiple times and appreciate different i mean you know that's why we do this show it's fun to go back sometimes and see something for the first time or see something again because i mean just just in context of how we're watching movies for this program i've watched some favorites already that you and i picked out and and enjoyed them all in, in all new ways so that's why these type of um experiments are fun oh yeah yeah and this was yeah, stepfather was certainly uh Certainly a fun one. Uh, one I don't mind uh, hunting down to uh, add to my library. Well, I was excited that you and and uh, Jessica liked Stepfather as much as you did, because I I feel like I, that was kind of what I was hoping that you would enjoy this because I feel like I picked out some rather. Uh, hard to digest movies <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time that's kind of the fun of the show to mix it up to do some some you know get to, you and i get to each pick from our own personal tastes or whatever so um and sometimes we're picking stuff that we just wanted to see that we haven't seen yet so um but yeah it's been yeah. fun man so you get the next pick uh podcast ask us many questions who will listen and who will return next week? Who will take the time to rate and review? Check for a new episode of PhotoFlow every week. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at PhotoFlow Terror and Instagram on PhotoFlow underscore Terror. Thank you for listening to PhotoFlow. We'll find the terror in the smiles. <laughs>